It's philosophy talk. Do you believe in God? The question is, does God believe in me? What is religious belief? Harry, do you believe in God? Never met him. Yeah, well, I do. And I love Jesus' style. What does it really mean to believe in God? Isn't believing in God a little like believing in the Tooth Fairy or Santa Claus? Do you believe in God? Yes. Oh. We believe in quarks and gluons even though we don't see them with our eyes, so why not believe in God too? So is it a problem that I'm not really religious? Not for me. Why not? I'm not the one going to hell. Is believing in God a form of self-deception? I know you don't believe in God. You don't believe in the power of prayer, and that's okay. To each his own. But you've got to believe in something. Our guest is Neil Van Leeuwen from Georgia State University. What is religious belief? Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Hey, fellow philosopher. Just taking a moment to thank you for being a listener. And asking you to please consider making an end-of-year gift to support the program so that we can continue to question everything. This past year, it's been everything from reference to robots, from math to masculinity. So head on over to our website, philosophytalk.org, and click the Support Us button at the top of the page. Or give the gift of thought to the other philosopher in your life with a subscription to our library of more than 500 episodes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for thinking. And thank you for supporting Philosophy Talk. Does anyone really, truly believe in God? Or is religion just a fancy form of make-believe? Don't we all believe some things on faith? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where Ken teaches philosophy, and I direct the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. And today, we're thinking about religious beliefs and asking how they differ from other kinds of beliefs. How they differ? I'll tell you one way they differ, Ken. They're more philosophically disreputable. <laughs> disreputable? Come on, Josh, why do you say that? Well, they're not based on evidence or reason. They're not subject to debate. You can't prove or disprove them. I mean, I think religious belief is a lot more like you know, self-deception or make-believe. Oh, gosh, Josh. I, I, I think you're way underestimating religious people and also their beliefs. Look, religious beliefs can have huge p impacts on people. Some of the most honest, committed, and passionate people I know are the way they are precisely because of their religious beliefs. So they can't possibly just be like make-believe. Well, I mean, it could be wishful thinking. Maybe they believe it, but it isn't true. Or, or maybe they only believe they believe it. Uh, what, what, what are you talking about? Well, think about all the stuff that religious people actually do. Well, maybe not all of them, but some of them. You know, they, they tell us to love our neighbor, and then what do they do? They go out and vote for a guy who puts kids in cages. Well, right? They go on and on about sexual purity, and then they cheat on their spouses. And, I mean, surely that kind of thing has to mean they don't really believe the stuff they say. They just think they believe it. No, no, Josh, Josh, Josh. Look, look. You're making a bad difference. Lots of people are like that, or precisely like that, about lots of their beliefs. For example, there are plenty of people who believe, oh, I don't know, getting more exercise and eating better would be good for their, their health. But, you know, they don't always follow through. But that doesn't mean that they don't believe, really, truly believe that they should. It's like, uh, you're, you're the literary guy. It's like uh, that line from T.S. Eliot, I think. He, he says, between the intention and the act falls the shadow. 
That is a beautiful line. Okay, so so you're saying people like that are subject to what philosophers call weakness of the will. That's exactly right. And all of us, even you, Josh, I'm sure even you, are subject to weakness of the will sometimes. Fair point. So, so why would you pick on religious people as, and their religious beliefs as particularly bad examples? Well, because there really is a difference. I mean, look, I, I genuinely believe that it's good for me to get more exercise, even if I'm you know, lying on my couch <laughs> eating Cheetos. <laughs> But I'm not as convinced, Ken, that gun-loving Christians actually believe, for example, in turning the other cheek. You know, maybe they say they do. Or maybe they're trying to convince other people. Maybe they're trying to convince themselves. But are they really believing it? Oh, but but, but, but just, just ask yourself. Come on. Why on earth would people spend all that time, all that intellectual energy, trying to talk themselves into pretending that they believe something that they really don't believe? What would be the point? Well, Nietzsche has an answer for that, actually. He thinks people often prefer illusions to the truth because the truth is really hard to swallow. Look, illusions make life more palatable. They, They make things look better than they actually are. And you know what? People need that. Josh, come on. You you really believe that religious belief is is just nothing but like a Nietzschean necessary illusion or something? Thus spoke Zarathustra, Ken. I mean, look, believing in an all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal being in the sky who has some big plan for you, that's a really comforting illusion. I mean, it sure beats the heck out of recognizing the world's just a cold, hard, meaningless place and death is the end of existence. You say, yeah, 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 okay, I get it. You say religious belief is oh so comforting, so easy. But come on, think about it a little more. Think of what religion sometimes demand requires of us. It says you gotta give away your money. You've you you gotta sacrifice your life. And, and in the case of Abraham, you know what God said to Abraham? Give me your child, son, the one I promised you. Take him and sacrifice him. You think that was comforting to Abraham? That was demanding, dude. Well, I'll grant you that religious belief is a complicated phenomenon. Yeah. There's clearly a lot we need to figure out. Maybe it would help if we could get God on the line. Oh, Josh, I, I know you're joking, but, you know, there are people who seriously believe that they're in an actual conversation with God. So we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McDeed, to find out how some evangelical Christians try to forge an intimate relationship with an invisible divine being. She files this report. Tanya Marie Lerman grew up in an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood. Her mother's father is a Baptist minister. Her father was raised as a Christian scientist. So she's always been fascinated by how things become real for people. My first project, my dissertation project, was on middle-class people who practice magic. Now she's an anthropologist at Stanford. By 2003, she began doing fieldwork with an evangelical church called The Vineyard. In this faith, people seek to have a back-and-forth relationship, an intimate relationship with this all-powerful, all-knowing, entirely good God who um, responds to them. She spent more than four years observing the vineyard in Chicago and Palo Alto in prayer groups, Bible circles, and worship sessions. And they would say things like, I recognize God's voice the way I recognize my mom's voice on the phone. But she says vineyard members didn't necessarily act like they could rely on an all-powerful God, at least not in the same way people rely on mom. In fact, they often talked about forgetting God was real. People never ask God to write their term paper. They take their card to be fixed. Most religious believers also go to the doctor. So Lerman went searching for an explanation to a big question. 
How are rational people able to feel the presence of an invisible being? That question sent her back in time to the 1960s. One of the great untold stories of American Christianity is the hippie Christians, or the Jesus freaks. Sipping whiskey from a paper cup. By the 70s, musician Larry Norman had introduced the world to Christian rock. Take a look at what you've done to yourself. Why don't you, you put the bottle back on the shelf? Thousands and thousands of young Christians look to Jesus as the perfect representation of hippie counterculture. The people tell me that I'm trying to look like Jesus. I can't think of anybody else I'd rather look like. <laughs> An evangelist named Lonnie Frisbee preached on the beaches. God is blowing everybody's mind <laughs> because he's saving, he's saving the, the hippies. And nobody thought a hippie could be saved. <laughs> God, if you're really to me. These hippie Christians kind of traded LSD out for speaking in tongues. Lerman says the Jesus people wanted to connect with God in a meaningful, intimate way. The Vineyard Movement spoke about a real God for real people. Decades later, evangelical churches like the Vineyard now dot the United States, and many Americans say they talk to God. Lerman says that at the Vineyard, churchgoers are taught how to hear God's voice. But they basically invited people to look for thoughts that stood out from other thoughts, thoughts that might be more spontaneous, thoughts that were louder. And they would say, well, you know, you really want to ask, is this the kind of thing that God would say? This close relationship to God can help keep belief systems strong, and those beliefs can also have political implications. White Christian evangelicals, for example, overwhelmingly voted for President Donald Trump because he spoke about a lot of policies that appeal to this base. It spoke to a lot of evangelical anxieties in a moment where they're beginning to go and clearly see their demographic decline. John Bolesky is an American religion anthropologist with the University of Edinburgh. He also researched the Vineyard Church, where he met people drawn to the miraculous. Part of it was that the entire Trump story seemed so unlikely to the degree that people believe there is a divine plan and that people are looking for the hand of God. They're looking for breaks from the natural order. But Bolesky says evangelicals were clearly not the only people looking for an improbable president. And he says that faith in the invisible is not necessarily unique to believers. So much of what we do in this current world is taken on faith. There's just a vast horizon of material that we don't understand, that we can't explain, and we just hope or expect will be there. Tanya Lerman says that evangelical Christians she met at the Vineyard seemed happy to feel the presence of such a loving God. But there were some who also felt the disturbing presence of demons. I thought that the demons could sometimes be pretty overwhelming for people. And those are the people that I became most worried about. After all, not all invisible forces are good to have around. Well, it may be the devil, and it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly J. McDeed. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.